Caution. Learning in progress. Good morning, and welcome back to Smarter Every Season. I am Hans Stutzman, and um, with me today in the studio, we got a full house today in the studio. With me today is Tyler Hubert. Tyler, Good morning, Hans. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. Good. Paul? Good morning. Good morning. Also, we have Nolan with us here today as well. So, Nolan? How are we doing? Good. Welcome. Um, Nolan is running our sound today. So, But our guest today is Justin Kaufman. Justin? Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Justin is our general manager here at Precision Planning. You've been here for 11 years, I believe, yeah. something like that. Been around for a long time. Good to have you back. This is your second time here. Yeah, so it is. Great to be back. I really like our topic today. I'm really glad to have you on. Our, our vision today is talking about culture and um, kind of the company culture, Precision Planning culture, what's different, how that is. This is something that you have been passionate about for, for many years. So yeah, Hans. No, I appreciate you know the opportunity to talk again and and talk about culture. It is something that I personally spend a lot of time and energy on. As the general manager, I view it as as one of my actual the priority of my job is is helping to set that and, and influence it. I think we could talk more about actually if yep. I get to set that or not because <laughs> um, that's a debatable thing. And uh, you know, but in reality, it is it is kind of the high octane fuel that goes into the tank that makes everything go. And so, uh, it's really I I think especially today is the differentiator between healthy businesses and those that aren't. Exactly, I think it's cool. I think that's that's it's interesting to hear someone from that position talk about it. I guess one of the questions that I talked about is like, what is the is a company's culture like? How does that look and feel and how do you you look at that and then why is it so important to how a company actually functions and what does it do within the company yeah it's kind of a broad i mean it's a little bit specific but kind of a broad aspect of what is culture for us yeah and i think it is actually pretty hard to define and there's there's different i think there's different ways to look at it i've tried to boil it down uh really into a couple areas and one it's uh, how things get done around a business and then it's what gets rewarded and punished uh, you look at individuals, those who get promoted, you know, ultimately that's what you're saying your culture is. Uh, so it's really that, you know, how things are getting done and, and what's getting rewarded. Not now, what's getting done, how things are getting that's right. done. Right. The, the process that, of what they're going, your employees and the management team and the whole organization, how they're getting to that point. Yeah, that's right. And so it's it's not just, you know, I, I think a, a maybe a little more book definition and a lot of what I'll, I'll try and reference the books as I go through because a lot of what I'll be saying is some I've learned from others uh, the culture blueprint is is one and references you know defines it as you know it's it's actually a system it's a living thing so it's not predestined it's not static it's not just some things you can put on the wall and say see that's our culture you know and and we do this one thing and that's what our culture is no it's it's going to be how that system interacts. So that's made up of people. It's made up of processes and policies and, you know, the interconnection between how everything gets done then is, is really the outflow of, of what is a culture. And it's, oh, so one more thing on that, because I think oh, you're going with it and it's, it's not a static thing. Right. 
Right. It's, it's a living piece of the company. It's, it's the heart and soul of the company then in that aspect of it. Yeah, it is. And it's, and so it's changing. And so, you know, our, our culture today is not what it was two years ago at Precision Planting. And in two years, it'll be different. We hope it's, it's better, right? We hope it's growing into a healthier spot, but the reality is it's, it's going to continue to change. Those people are going to continue to change. Uh, the, you know, we, we talk about kind of an, an infinite game approach to business, meaning, there's not an agreed upon set of rules that we're functioning within. Um, you know, now Keith and our accounting team, they're functioning in some agreed upon set of rules, yes. but how we're, <laughs> how we're doing other, you know, uh, a lot of other aspects of the business is, is really a changing dynamic. And so, yeah, it's, it's not a static thing. It's going to change over time. And, and um, you know, that's ultimately should be an encouraging thing. I mean, you, hint, you hinted at this in your, in your initial opening statement, but how does the leader, how does the, the general manager in our conversation mm-hmm. influence and drive or lead that, yeah. that culture, that living, breathing dynamic? Yeah. And, and as I've thought about, you know, I think first off, the, you know, positional role I'm in, um, I think it's important to, you know, recognize the ditch on both sides. One, we should never run away from the ownership authority and the responsibility of saying, hey, it's all, it's all under your watch, and you, you got to run right into that. At the same time, a business like Precision, the reality is culture is being set by every employee. It's how things are getting done. It's how a farmer interacts with Paul when he calls in and asks a question, and when a dealer gets trained by Tyler, that's that's culture. That's how things are getting done. So you got to be really careful to never overstate what the leader is doing. And and I could say and proclaim whatever I want, but ultimately how our business is interacting is what's going to actually set culture. And that's done by all of our employees. You look at, you know, interesting, one of the most uh, impactful people is going to be what you might call middle management. Those that are going to be hiring promoting, recognizing employees are, are really some of the most influential positional roles to how a culture gets set within a business. So it's a, a mental picturing one of the turn of the century ocean liners where the captain's up in the top and he's got the binoculars and he's, and he's saying, okay, we're going to turn left. And it's a, it's a radio call and then the little swinging arm half moon to, for change of speed. Right. Not actually making the change, just saying, okay, we're going to do something unless the team follows with that. Right. Ships keeps going in the direction it was. Yeah. No, that's right. And so, I mean, I think, you know, your positional leader has to give clarity of vision. Where are we headed? And then really get out of the way to let a bunch of really smart people head there and let those that know how to control that liner make the, make the, the changes. And, you know, I think that's, that's also how it, how it is here. I do think the leader has to model. I mean, you know, if, if the, if the positional leaders are, are acting a certain way, you know, you, there's the saying in both kind of leadership and parenting, more more gets caught than taught, right? If if a leader is is acting a certain way and you're saying, hey, I want us to all be this way, that can be a tough thing. Um, you know, so a lot of times the leader can mess it up more more than they can actually uh, set it up and improve it. So I'll jump in here because I, I think, I'm not sure how long this kind of document has been in the works or in creation. We all have a, a document in front of us that you had sent out that kind of defines our culture here Mm -hmm. at Precision Planning. I'd like to jump into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, So if we can, can you highlight, and and there's portions of this document that each department at Precision kind of has behavioral mottos that fit what our group does, Mm -hmm. um, or each group does. Can you hit on or pull out some of the more kind of 
company-wide behavioral mottos that, that fit our culture? Yeah. So, you know, to set this, this document up a little bit too, it probably ties into the earlier conversation on the leader. You know, this document as, and, and I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm headed into a transition where I'm, um, you know, exiting the precision planning business. And as that has been playing out, I think there was a part of, you know, really capturing this that I felt an obligation to. And as I looked at that, I actually, I said, I felt more like an archaeologist than a creator. So I'm digging these gems up and I'm brushing them <laughs> off and I'm, I'm putting maybe definition and words to them. I'm not creating what I think you find in here. Because it's already there. It's it was already there. there. It was something That's that right. predated It's us. predated us. Yeah. And it's, it's growing now. I think you'll hear us sometimes talk about it as a curator. Curator of the, you know, of the museum is a more living thing. I think that's a better picture to the idea of, you know, it, culture being living. But when I looked at this document, that's what I felt kind of a, an obligation and need to say, let's get, let's capture some of this and help bring clarity. And the, the document is called Behavioral Principles to the point it's focused on kind of how we're doing things, how this interaction is happening. And so you see these number of behaviors and, and they kind of get captured in mantras, you know, like do hard things that, that are, and, and you start to say, hey, these were things that when I reflected on my time at Precision and said, what is it about this place and how we get things done? That's a saying that has been said multiple times that I, I brushed off and said, yeah, let, let's capture, let's capture that. Um, and so that's what you have with these different behaviors and, you know, what, what is put in there. So I, yeah, I look at it as I'm, I'm the curator. I've got these, these gems of antiquity that I'm, you know, passing on to the organization as, as we look at them. I think that's a better mental image of yeah. like Justin in, you know, kind of one of those Columbia fishing shirts with pockets in it, like a, <laughs> like an archeologist just dusting off yeah. old conversations and pulling out these mottos. The vision in my head was something of, and this may point to my maturity, but if you've ever seen the movie uh, Dewey Cox, <laughs> there's a point in that movie where he says something like, it's a long, hard walk to the top, but I will walk hard. <laughs> and then his eyes get like big as saucers oh, and his jaw man. drops like, that, that's gold. Yeah. So that was the vision I had in my head of like, Justin thinking through like different sayings of, we do hard things. Oh, that's it. Yeah. yeah that's the yeah. one we're going to go with. Yeah. And, and so, but Tyler, as, as you pointed out, I, I think some of them resonate with uh, certain departments more than others, certain individuals more than others. I think it is important that they aren't all aspirational. I think that's what's important about culture. You got to, it's got to be real to who you are, not an aspiration of this is who we want to be. I think to be realistic about, you know, how things are actually getting done. But, you know, uh, another mantra you see at the beginning is, is, that we're obsessed with the farmer. The farmer's the hero of a story. That's something that we can't lose as we continue to grow. I think a lot of businesses like Precision that started with just, you know, a, a passion for something. And over time, you can run the risk as, as we grow of, of losing that connection. And it's pretty easy as a business to write yourself into the hero line a lot. And I think being reminded of who's the hero that we're fighting for uh, is is a key mantra. And now somebody working in accounting might experience that a lot different than you guys as we're, you know, working face to face and, and in the in the trench, so to speak, with a farmer on a problem. The thing that I kind of notice as I read through each of these two is I don't feel like we've made any of these a secret. Right. Like you think about the hero of our story being the farmer. We've shared that at Winter Conference, taking an ownership mentality. Well I, I've been here long enough that I know two years ago we handed out to everybody in our dealer network the Extreme Ownership book, right? There's a lot of these that we're not 
hiding right. them. We've openly displayed. I, I, I think in in many you know past winter conferences, you know, out at the PTI farm, in in everything we do, I think it's clear to see these woven in. And you've probably heard these things said by somebody right at Precision Planning before. So, I, like I say, you know, right. Yeah, and and I think it is, you know, but the the power of culture is that it's it's really hard to replicate. Just you know, someone can take these documents, read them all, and go say, okay, this is who we're going to be. And it's, it's not a not, secret sauce. You can just pour easy. on something and get a result out of it. No, it's not a secret sauce. It's built over time. It's rewarded. Right. It's and I actually so as we're talking through it, we're looking at the the document a little bit here and there, but. I'm thinking back to the very one of the very first things you said when we started the podcast was that it's what gets rewarded. It's what you focus on. It's it's the byproduct of how you go through it. And so Paul's comment about leadership, what's the leadership role and what's your role? And that's I think that's where it comes from. It's it's how you reward the people. It's the mindset behind what you mm-hmm. the way you, you approach the culture itself and who's getting rewarded and why. Yeah. I want to I want to point on it's not just reward. It's also what's what successes do you celebrate the hardest or the right. most? And it, it right. may not be like, here's a, here's a bonus or here's a raise or anything. It could simply be, here are the successes. Here are the wins that we celebrate the most. There were other ones along the way, but those don't continue speeding the flywheel of culture. Right. And so you, you prioritize those. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah, it is. And I think, you know, you, you look at it this and you, a lot of these great thinkers on, on business culture talk about like, what are the stories, uh, the heroes that you're telling, um, that are along fighting for your greater cause. And, and what are those that, that get rewarded? What are those that get, get talked about, you know, and, and you kind of look at how that transpires across and, and you end up, I mean, I think an important thing is to say, am, am I willing to hire, fire or promote based on these beliefs? If not, they're not that important. Yeah. And, You've used, and we've all used the word stories, the stories. Mm-hmm. Why that word? I, I think it's because we're humans, right? I, I think okay. stories are, are what connect to us. Um, and, and so ultimately, you know, we're, we're, part of a, we're part of a bigger story, for one, and, and we're, we're humans, and that's what connects to the core. And, and so I think it's a, it's a much more impactful way to go about life is, is recognizing we're part of a story and, and to really retain information and, and change and move is, is hearing it in story form. Perfect. That's, yeah. I, I always thought that was an, an intentional usage of the word and, and the framing of these, these tenets around stories so much because of the parable aspect that just, yeah, they help. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So as I'm looking through all of these behavioral models, the thing that kind of sticks out to me is none of them say we're going to improve sales by 10% year over year. Right. Right. There's no monetary goals that show up in this. Right. Which may be counter to what's traditional. Right. Right. Yeah. So I I, I guess to put a question to that, I'm sorry. Why? Why? Why not put like a monetary goal with it, or why not include those kinds of things? Yeah. What pain has that caused you in goal setting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a great call out and, and that's very intentional. And, you know, we, we do say, you know, we believe results are a byproduct of a healthy culture. And that's what you'll, you'll find, you know, as a behavior, precision planting delivers results. You know, as I, as I've picture back there with with my my columbia shirt on right it's like no this organization as i've been a part of it has delivered results by that definition but that's never been the end all objective and that's the point you know but if we are obsessed 
with a cause and the farmer like we should be. And if we're, we have leaders that are serving people and, you know, servant leadership's one that's, that is called out specifically. And I think it's worth noting for a minute of, you know, what, what we mean by that, uh, which is as I've, as you've watched precision go, and this is where I felt this in my role is it is so little about me having a great idea. And the fact is we have hundreds of great, smart people connected to the front end of our product, our customer that are coming up with ideas and our leadership team, you know, is there to support them to do that. Meaning, you know, so if I say, you know, is it our engineering leadership that tells each engineer exactly how to go work on that project? Or is it the other way around? Or if we're running a report for a sales team, is it so that we have more clarity about what exactly they're doing or does it help them better serve dealers and farmers? It, it better be the latter or else it shouldn't happen, right? If we're doing all those things, the, the natural result of that is going to be delivering results in the business sense, but that's not our focus. And, and I think one of the risks with that as well, when we can get overly focused on a certain business metric is time frame. So we never want to you know, achieve a short-term goal at the expense of long-term health of our people, of our business. And when we overinflate that, that's one of the risks that we can have. If we're just looking at that end result and we got to hit that number and we got to hit it now, we run the risk of, of really causing harm. Do you have an example of a time where like, you, you mentioned or framed as a leader not focusing on that, that metric or visibility for yourself and instead focusing on giving the sale, let's use the sales team, sales team better clarity or functionality for their activities. Do you have an example, a story you can share with us on one of the times you had to step back, actually limit your own visibility and rely heavier on trust to like, am I laying that out? Yeah, no, that makes sense. So an immediate example I think of is the idea of a CRM. Uh, you know, where you, you essentially within a, a sales organization, you have, you know, this customer relationship management. We'll go with that. I'm pretty sure. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> customer relationship yeah. management. Yeah. Yes. You know, but you have these systems that essentially you put every sales call in, you know, that I can manage exactly how many calls happen today. Very, you know, common tool within a, a commercial sales organization that you have. As we've looked at tools like that, one of the things that can be uncomfortable for me is to sit there and say, hey, how many meetings did we have today? How many farmers did we present in front of on February 22nd? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that information. On one hand, it'd be great to know that information. But what would it cost if I required that for our over 30 RMs that are out there to come at the end of a day after they've worked extremely hard, passionately to educate, to put in a bunch of notes so that I have a better report to say, oh, I know exactly how many we were in front of today. That's good. And I'm going to manage. Okay. And I need that number to now move up to this. As opposed to now you say, hey, a CRM, RM, how, are, how do you know when, when you need to follow up with that dealer about this issue? And do you feel like you've got the right tools to make that decision or to schedule that? Like I need to put a call in two weeks to follow up about said issue. That's why we want to CRM, not so I can have a better report. At times it's going to be, you know, drawn for me. And the traditional approach is to have a report run that gives that visibility. And instead we say, you know, Paul, you mentioned trust. 
right? And I, and I talk about in this document, trust is a foundation for all of these behaviors. As I looked at it, because it was, uh, you know, you have these different behaviors and trust just was kind of throughout all of them in a way. And it's like, you know, this needs to be talked about some, you know, really called out. I appreciate you using that, you know, uh, pointing out that word because it is foundational. And if that, if that isn't there, if you, you're not running in a high trust way, it's going to end up, you know, eroding in, in all of these different ways. So, you know, I think that's an example. I mean, our, uh, maybe an MPI process in engineering or some of that, like there's a lot of things we could ask to get better visibility for us that aren't going to help the team solve real problems for the hero we're fighting for. So, so, I mean, it's interesting when you talk about that because trust is, trust is almost that freedom. Like when you trust that person to go do it, you've given them the freedom to go do it. Whereas a lot of places it feels much more like we're controlling what's going on and we have to have a report back. You, we don't trust you to go do it and be honest about it. We, tr- we need the report to prove that you did what we asked you to do. Right. Right. And that's, you know, and once you start headed down that road, you know, it's, you start losing really good people because, you know, you don't trust me. You don't trust me. You don't trust me. And I know I have the freedom to go do what I think is right. That's right. So the the culture is, is based on the fact that we trust them. We've empowered, because we trust them, we empower them to go do what they need to do. Right. Right. And, and create, I think with that kind of playing off that is this, what we'll talk about safety and failure. And so if you trust people, it can't be contingent upon, you know, trust is earned. I think it's fair to say that. Like, it shouldn't just be blind. It shouldn't be reckless. And there is a fair aspect that we could say, you can, you can hurt trust, right? And, I, can, and I, I might need to, as a new employee, earn some level of that. But there needs to be safety to make a mistake. But, you know, and, and that's where a, it's... It can't be a pain-free process. There's no. got to be some continual learning in there. Right. Right. And so there, there is, there's that aspect of, you know, allowing some level of mistakes and that, yeah, I might, I might make a mistake along the way. That's what comes with a high trust culture that's decentralized. It's got empowerment out there. But if we're, that's, that's how we learn. That's how we progress. That goes back to your more is caught than taught. Mm -hmm. If the initial reaction to that failure, whatever it be is, how dare you, as opposed to, okay, what did we learn? Yeah. How do we improve two drastically different directions. Right. One of the things I've, I've grown in in the last few years in that area too is, is uh, you know, I think we can, we can run the risk of outcome bias where it's just based on the results. Like we could get, you know, and this can happen in, on both sides. Like we can have all kinds of business growth, but if we don't know why, that's not really that good. That's not, that's not healthy. And we can make what ends up appearing like a bad decision, we get a bad outcome, we do something and it doesn't result in, call it more sales or a successful product. We say, well, that, that was a mistake. Not necessarily. Like, don't get past the outcome and let's ask the questions. Well, why did we do it that way? It's as, it's as much, there's as much gold in the process that we took to get there and what we could learn through that as there is in the actual outcome. And I think, at times we can just fall into just focusing on that outcome and, and running past even successes that we should be unpacking a little bit. Why? And maybe the success was we were the benefit, you know, the benefactor of a situation that we didn't even control. And you better, you know, take a moment to pause because we're actually not doing that that well. Right. And you got to be careful. That goes a little bit along with the, um, I think you mentioned it, the infinite game. Yeah. Because we're looking at the context of, this is one scenario outcome. 
but we are we need to look at why it worked that way so we can actually set ourselves up for more than just that outcome long term aspect of it. Right. And yeah, Simon Sinek, Infinite Game, and he's actually taken some, you know, thoughts from earlier thinkers on that, you know, with game theory and explaining how, uh, you know, it really connected with me. And I, I know a lot of others here of that. Yeah, business is an infinite game, meaning like compare it to baseball that has a finite game that's got very clear rules, a, a clear competitor. And there's a clear a, end. There's a clear end to the game. There's a winner. There's a loser. And we use that that mindset a lot of times thinking about business, thinking about life. And the fact is there's not going to be a clear winner or a clear loser in the world of business. And you just look at how many businesses talk about that as their goal. We're going to be number one in this. And part of the reality of the infinite game is that the field is constantly changing. Competitors come and go. Those dynamics are all changing. So to the point, Hans, if we're not going further into why did that happen that way, what were we thinking, what what did we believe at that time to that let us make that decision? Guess what? In three years, the field could change, and there's a there's a there's someone else out here now too, and our customer needs might be different, and that's what they needed then, but they might not need it now, and and so staying honest about that is is I think really important. So one of the things we've talked about, and you've kind of gone around it several times here, and we've we've hinted at it a little bit, but I'm just going to go straight to and ask the, ask the question and just kind of get your thoughts on this. As you think through the, the culture of precision planning, as you look at, and, and then the large part of the reason why we, we started this conversation, we're late in the conversation to bring this up, but some of the culture idea, the, the topic stem from the idea of how do we in, in pass some of the ideas that we've seen with culture, pass it on to our dealers as they're working with their businesses, their smaller, their, their organizations where they're at. How can we instill and encourage them in that, in that process is kind of where we're, we're going with this. How would you advise someone who's a leader in their company that is in relation to the team of people that they're working with? How would you advise them to to build that culture yeah. um, within that team, and what what steps could they take? And this is specifically to the team to the environment of their their coworkers and the people that are under them. Yeah, um, was probably the first thing I would say. Yeah, I think you know the first step is a, is what I would say is just that honest assessment of what is there. What's what the culture is, currently yeah, is there? Yeah. What's being rewarded? What, you know, how are we getting things done? What are we placing value on? Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's where, you know, for, for me, that was kind of this process. Now, we, we came into it in a time, and I recognize as dealers, or we can be all across the spectrum of if do I feel like it's healthy? Do I feel like it's not? Whatever it is, embrace that. <laughs> Let's be honest about what it is. <laughs> How am I getting things done today? And take a little study of that. Now, I think it is important that that's not an employee survey. That's an uh, actual study of who am I rewarding? Who am I not? What's actually happening and how are things getting done? Employee surveys are valuable for other things, but I don't think that that's the right way to say what is, you know, culture and what should it be or, or aspirational and those things. I think that can be a risky way to go about it, right? I, th I think what you just proposed is actually more painful than an employee survey. Yeah. And more difficult to do because it's a true honest assessment of what is it that I truly, it takes, it, it requires the leader to take himself off and say, what is it that I'm actually doing that's rewarding these? Right. What are the things that I'm placing value on? Right. One one action that I've gotten a lot of value out of in that process is finding some respected visitors that can speak into that. Uh, you know, there's a saying of you want to learn about water, don't ask a fish. Sometimes we can live in the middle of it and not really realize. It's just how we do things. That's not, that's not different. That's not unique. That's not. And someone else walks in 
and it's like, wow, did you realize that you guys, you know, what's really unique about how you interact? And so over the course of time, as Precision's grown, we've had the opportunity to have, you know, we've gone through ownership changes. We've had a lot of, call it, you know, different folks walking in and out of the doors of Precision as a partner. And I've been intentional now about saying, hey, what, yeah, what, what did you see? What was different what, than other companies you interact with? And so as a dealer, find some respected visitors that can give an unbiased observation of what they see within your business, I think is a really healthy thing to say, okay, that, that can help me unpack, you know, some of what that is. I think, you know, from there, it's okay to say, now I'm going to do a little bit of a, a health check. Is that healthy? Is it unhealthy? What do I want it to be? Um, and, you know, based on what it really is, and then look at, you know, so again, if you think of culture as being this system of interconnections and say, you know what, if I want to be about the farmer, but I then start reviewing and looking at my policies, the processes, the, the systems in place and say, well, you know, this employee I have has no information to help a farmer. How, how can I really expect him to do that if they don't have access to this system that gives them the information they need and then start looking at your systems, your policies, those type of things through the lens of what am I, how am I really doing it? What do I want it to be? And then just look at the connection between, you know, be it people as one, you know, there might be some tough people conversations that you need to have that says, Hey, here's, I know I haven't been clear about this in the past. This is not kind of who we want to be. Do you want to be a part of this? You want to be a part of it. Right. Yeah. And it's a tough conversation to have. It is. It is. And a lot of times in fairness, it's, it's, it hasn't been clarified, so employees are defining it for themselves, right? And so it's until you can clarify and have that conversation, you know, and that's, that's an important thing, and help people decide if they want to be a part of it or not, and then look at your systems, your, you know, what, what other things are in place that are either helping them do that or not. All right, Justin. So I'm looking at my sheet here, and I have almost no notes on my sheet, but I'm looking over at yours, and you've got like things drawn out and yeah. written out. And so I'm just curious, what are some of the notes that we haven't touched on that are on your documents over there? Yeah. Uh, no, it's funny. It's kind of how I read. I love I, when I go through reading a book, I underline and then come back to my underlines and, and try and, you know, really take stuff in. Well, I think first off, Hans, to the point, I mentioned this is kind of a living document. At some point, I think the first version was April of 2020. And I have kind of continued to edit that this document as, you know, I was kind of in this process of, of you know, dusting off the relics and picture and saying, what is this? And, and at times I would say just putting, putting description to things that were there. So it's, again, not discovering it, but actually just, okay, now let, like let's be specific and put a little bit of definition to that. So I went through and yeah, and, and, and kind of underlined some of the different words. I also, you know, the trust piece is we, we touched on it earlier, but just as how critical that is, as a part of it. And I drew out a trust diagram, which I completely, again, this is from another thinker, uh, Covey, uh, the speed of trust is a book, uh, but talks about, you know, Again, okay, we can use the word trust. What do you mean by trust? As a leader, how do you establish trust? And there, and there's a bit of a, a you know, a tree diagram that, uh, you know, if you picture trust at the top, again, this is taken from speed of trust. If you just were to Google it, you could find this image. And you say, ultimately, how do I trust somebody? And, okay, we'll say a positional leader, if I think of it in that way. You know, it really trust is, is going to be derived by, by two different things. One is going to be character, and then two is competence. 
Okay, so if I think of character, integrity and intent are kind of the next layer down on that. You know, it does is this person of high of high character? Are they honest? Are you know? I I, I really appreciate the idea of intent in there as well that that pulls out not just okay, yeah, I'm honest, but like, does this person? Do I believe they've got my best interest in mind? Like that intent, that character reflection that I'm I'm going to look at. But then on the other side is the competence. Underneath, you know, the competence block, you've, you've got the idea of capabilities and then results. And so my capabilities, skills, my knowledge, my experience, I've come to appreciate experience without theory is actually not that valuable. So actually understanding from my experience why things happen and why do I, you know, if I were in that situation again, how would I act? But I've got a set of skills, you know, where you look at and think about a leader. Do I trust them or not? Do they have the competence in it? And then results being kind of the, their track record and performance and credibility and reliability on, on deriving that. And so I, I've gone back to this image often as I think about, you know, I think we could probably all think of different leaders that maybe, you know, maybe there's someone with really high character, great person, but you know what? in that position. They just don't have the, the skills actually to, to do that well. So I don't trust the decision that's being made. It's not an indictment on who they are, you know, and then the other time we could probably think of people that we say, man, they're really good, super skilled, super knowledgeable, amazing experience, but man, what are their intentions? I don't know. And, uh, you know what, or they weren't being honest with me and boom, trust, trust goes down. And so really when we say, Hey, if we want all as individuals, cause I think trust, I look at it as an organization across a couple different relationships. One is employees to positional authority, positional leaders. There needs to be trust there. The inverse of that, there needs to be leaders trusting employees, Please. right? And then there needs to be peer to peer trust, there needs to be employee to employee trust and that there is, and I think this is one of the very powerful things within precision is that there's very little of, you know, if you call it about the corporate politics or like, I'm thinking that employee, what are they, are they, do they really have my back? Are they, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to get a promotion? Are they trying to look good or some of that? So if any one of those areas, I think we're constantly, again, that trust is, is growing and, you know, hopefully continuing to grow because it's, it's proven over time through action more than through words. But that is, so yeah, as we were preparing and just thinking about trust, I, I try and I'll draw that tree diagram out at times and just, you know, it's a great reflection, I think, for any one of us. I think you can, uh, you know, if you want to influence those around you, help try to be specific in areas of, you know, I, you know maybe where you see a gap or as a leader looking at employees, where, where can you help develop people uh, and kind of approach it that way. So yeah, that's one of the, the notes the I notes. <laughs> drawn on the paper. Very good. I, I was afraid it was an org chart. I was like, that's not that's not yeah. a precision planning way to have an org chart sitting at the bottom of your, of no, your sheet. No, it's not. To, so to that point, I, you know, I like, I talk about it changing. Actually, one of the last edits I made is was under servant leadership, okay? And, and, and it was specific to, I added the statement of we view the org chart more like a tree than like a pyramid. The organization, um, meaning the leadership is, you picture the trunk of a tree, compared to the top of a pyramid. So if we're pushing decision-making out and you think of, you know, this tree that's a growing living thing and out on the end are the branches and the fruit that are the leaves and that's all the skilled professionals we have within the system, within the organization and our leadership, positional leadership team is the trunk supporting all that. And often, you know, the traditional org structure is the pyramid, right? As we're if... Pushing everything's down. That's right. And as if, you know... 
you know, or the inverse where it's like, Hey, only smart people are at the top and they're the only ones that can make decisions. And everyone else is here to support the top of the pyramid. Not at all how things go here. Right. right. Um, and it's more about empowering that growth and that, and, and that was an example of, again, I'll, I'll credit the, uh, um, that's, that was taken from a couple of different books, Netflix, No Rules, Rules, and then uh, you know, Orbiting the Giant Hairball was, was a book that uh, actually was- kind of love the name. Isn't that a great name? <laughs> Written by the creative, a, a, a guy who is kind of the creative uh, within Hallmark back a couple decades ago as a, as a creative organization. And he was the first to use that comparison of a fruit tree compared to a pyramid as an organization. I said, ah, oh, that's it. That's, that's describes what we've tried to capture. And that's what I mean. You know, so you think of servant leadership, Hey, servant leadership has a lot of meanings, uh, you know, personally from a, a faith aspect, but also just straight from a business aspect, you think of a tree organization compared to a pyramid. And you say, that's what we mean by servant leadership, that that positional leader is there to support a bunch of engineers doing great things, a bunch of salespeople doing great things, a bunch of dealers doing great things, a bunch of product support people doing great things, on and on and on, right? That's that's kind of that picture and, and how it goes. So you're right to say that that's not a structure you see around here normally, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, Justin, I'm just going to go ahead and ask the question a little bit. This is probably the first time I've seen it when we were getting prepped for this, uh, to see this document. And I think you have some good reasons why you haven't spread this around broadly within the company and, and through the organization. You said it's been around for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, you yeah. want to touch on that just a little bit as to why, because I think there's some really good reasons why it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, the, the primary reason is because it is that important, <laughs> which right. means there is as much a risk to doing this poorly, wrong, as there is the wrong things. That's right. As there is a benefit to capturing some of it in writing. You know, if you think of that, that uh, analogies break down and maybe I shouldn't go any further with the archaeologist. But if you're, you know, finding a piece and, and describing it incorrectly, we're, we're repainting history in the wrong way. We're, we're capturing it wrong. There's a, there's a huge risk to doing that. And so, so you're turning the dinosaur tooth into an arrowhead. That's right. And say, <laughs> yeah, here's what that meant. And, the, and that would come, you know, I, I mean, my fear would be an employee would look at this and say, that's not. What I, that's not what I experience here. I don't want to be a part of this. Now, on one hand, I'll say, hey, defining it and helping people choose what to be a part of is a good thing. And there along the way should be people that say, yeah, that's not for me. That's okay. That's an okay thing, right? Clarity around what we do believe and how we want to work and recognizing that that's not a fit for everybody. That's okay. At the same time, the risk would be if that's actually, you know, because I haven't viewed things correctly as, as one person dusting off a relic here and saying, oh, I described that wrong, that's super risky. So I viewed this way more as an organic thing and shared. And so I would just update along the way or see something and something would happen that would say, ah, oh, yeah, you know, let me add that, subtract that, you know, um, as, as an event would happen. I, you know, I, as I mentioned, I might learn something about how to describe an org structure as a tree compared to a pyramid. And, and okay, that's the, the, um, a more recent ad and then share it with folks when it feels appropriate, you know, kind of like this, as we say, Hey, let's talk about culture. This, yeah, here, here is part of 
the relics have dusted off and the, you know, and the curation that we have and as, um, and, and even as I say, I, multiple people, you know, having multiple people speak into this and, and there should just be an accountability to the document as you know, all, everybody receives it that they can speak into. And so, yeah, that's, that's been the intention. And so over the course of time, you know, Doug Wiegand at our sales meeting here uh, this last fall said, Hey, I want to share this with RMs. Great. I didn't, ask him to. I also didn't tell him he couldn't, right? And said, yeah, that if you feel like that's would be worthwhile and that it's, you know, reflective and how exactly the interaction is as it kind of continues to to grow and change and some of that. Yeah, we'll see, right? But this is just meant to be a starting point of that and and yeah, it is that important that I think it is something to be be careful with. So, and I'm going to go back to your your first comments about culture are sticking with me when you talk about it's not static, it's living. And even putting it on a document right. puts it, dates it. Right. It makes it a, a fixed thing for a moment in time, even though the document itself is still changing at that one point when you hand it out, it's now, right. that's what people see. Right. So it is. And that, and that is, and so I think the tension there, and if I think about it at a dealer level, you know, um, this is what, what part of what I've experienced at Precision as we have grown and, you know, my, our team, I'll, I'll say, you know, we need to continue to think like a global business. We've got employees around the world. We've got, we've been s- serving farmers around the world for years. That's not new. We've got great dealers and distributors around the world. But how do we help a new employee understand how we want to think? How, uh, how do we help someone? And even when that becomes cross-cultural, you know, somebody, in, a new employee in, in Europe or in South America, as an example, as well as just a new employee joining here. Uh, we're, a, we're a much larger organization. I remember a few years ago, um, there was a new employee starting and I was kind of talking with them in orientation. They were talking about how different it was to join a large company and all this stuff. And, and, and it took me a moment to realize that the large company was precision planning. <laughs> I was like, wait, I don't, I don't think of us as a large company. That's not, but to that individual, this was the largest company they'd ever, ever worked at. Right. And so the part of the need, I think, as you look at, at a dealer level, even with if, if there's just a couple of employees, there is a, a, a value and a need to start saying we can't, um, a, a lot of this can flow informally and be pretty informal through relationships. That's going to be critical, but there is a value to start trying to capture some of it and say, Hey, look at this piece. Now recognize it might change or some of those things you can, you can still have those caveats, but that there is a value to start saying, let's capture it so that we can look at that and help that new employee get a get, get some a semblance demos. of you know what what this place is and how we want to be thinking and and why we're here. I kind of think I keep thinking of the the family photograph that's taken every Christmas where you gather everybody around and that that doesn't tell the story of the family. Mm. But you get enough years of that the revision history and you start looking at the photo album and that helps tell the story and this is kind of you know doc you know picture 1 yeah, is here. It's not the album. It doesn't tell the whole story, but there's pieces in there like the sweater mom's wearing that help tell the story that lead into the conversations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I think there is, there is that that if without those pictures, right, you, it uh, you can't you could forget that time. Yep. And and so though they they play a value, but they don't define what your future has to be. That's awesome. So steering that, how do you take this photo album, this document, this, and, or what tools outside of something like this would you coach 
someone who is in the succession planning at their dealership saying, hey, I've built this culture. And earlier on in the conversations about how do you build it, now let's turn it and say, okay, now I've built it. How do I make sure it survives and sustains after I'm no longer there to yeah. help? Yeah. So I, I do think, you know, the capturing of, of it in, in some form is important. A document might be one way to do that. You know, the other is, I, I think, just even verbally or through, through, through conversation, one of the things I've come to appreciate is when you see things happening, you can't assume that everyone else is connecting, that this is a moment that is reflective of uniquely who we are. And so that it's very important and actually uh, if you believe in it and want it to move on, it's worth saying, hey, guys, I, I recognize, hey, that was just a tough conversation we had. We do hard things here. That's how we want to think about it. You guys are doing that right now and calling that out. And uh, that, that as a leader, it is, it is uh, not just important but really required if you want that to be passed on, I think, to, to stop and actually – you know, call, call that out and actually be descriptive to the fact in these moments of saying, Hey, I want everybody to catch what just happened and why we just did that that way. The recognition of what is happening and why that, that particular thing was important. What parts of it were the right thing to do or what parts were the wrong, were why it, why this could have been different. Right. Or what was the right part of it. Right. And really being explicit about that. And that is, you know, a lot of that is just going to be, that is just making the most of those opportunities that are day by day. And I think as much of it can just be that. It can just be a shift in mindset that this says, this is going to be at the forefront of my mind. And you can go through the, the simple things of put a rubber band on your arm. And when I see the rubber band, think about, you know, those type of little tricks. But that just says as much of anything, if, if, if it's an intention of mine and I'm going to make the most of opportunities that are just going to come up through the course of running the business. I mean, the thing is... You can, you don't have to care about creating culture because it's going to be created. It, it, every business is getting things done. And so it's happening if you want to own it or not, if you want to influence or not. And so I think the biggest thing anybody can do is just have an intention that says, I'm going to push into it. I'm going to look for it. I'm going to speak up when I see it. And I believe that, you know, that's critical to who we are. And I want to influence it maybe in a certain direction or that and just be in, in, you know, have an intent to that. And I think that goes a long way. The part I loved hearing throughout that was not that as a leader looking at success, succession was never, I'm going to pick the next leader to be my advocate. It was making everyone an advocate. Right. Was, because that's what the culture is. It's everyone. Right. Right. And you go back, you know, the, the, when I was on, when we talked about extreme ownership and talk about leadership and, and leadership equals influence. And I've we've talked a lot about positional leadership and I've tried to even say it that way most of the time, right? Recognizing that employees, no matter what role they're in, can have influence and are creators. Culture is co-created. You cannot define it as one thing and push that down. It's going to be co-created. If you have one employee that treats customers horribly. That's the culture. That's the culture. And you allow it to happen. That's the culture. And you can allow it even by not knowing that's on you. Right? Not knowing that it's happening. Yeah. 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 But that's still on you. Right. And so, um, you know, I think that is the power. It's going to be created or not. You might as well grab it, try and influence it. So Paul, you, we were talking a little bit about this and, and one of the things we 
as affecting the culture within the leadership. What about someone who is just an individual contributor? How can they influence the culture, whether they're at the employee dealership, whether they're in a larger company, can they be a part? I mean, we talked about the succession plan as well, but they could also be a part of that as well. How does that individual at the low, uh, at, at the outreaches of the tree, if you have the structure set up where it's outreach of the tree, how do they influence the culture either as a large part of it or as if they're the, the, the grassroots of changing the culture? Yeah. I, I think first and foremost, it's for every employee to embrace that they are part, part of, of it, right? So first and foremost, I think we can too often limit our own influence by giving up before we even start and saying, well, that's not my job. That's I'm not, not in who charge I am. of culture. I'm not in charge right. of that, right? And so, I mean, I think the first charge is just to get past that right there because anybody can, especially, you know, in an organization of, of five people, Man, it's open for the taking. Who's going to be, who's going to build trust? Again, go to your intentions. You better do that from a pure motive, you know, but there, it's wide open. Run into that, okay, first and foremost. I think second is it's fair to ask your leaders to, to define it and ask the why question. You know, you hear the five whys. Ask, hey, why did we do that that way? I don't understand. That's a great, that's a great question as an employee to ask. They can just say, hey, and, and doing it again, not from a critical place, but from a, I want to understand why we maybe made that decision compared to something. And there's, there's something behind it that you might not see and that that's, that's a great opportunity to learn. And so if, if that's unclear, I'd, I'd encourage, you know, as an employee, you're sitting there and say, ask the question or, or try and figure it out on your own and, and then maybe go and clarify and, and, and yeah, do that in an appropriate way, encouraging way. And, and that's a great way to, to just grow your influence. What I hear when I listen to you talk about that, it's not that you're, it's not that you're the leader, it's that everyone is a part of their culture, whether it's around them and starting it and, and changing culture is a part of each individual employee. And I asked it as a lead, as from the leader to to an individual contributor because that's how a lot of people think of culture. Right. There's the there's the leader of the that was creating culture, and then there's the individuals. But I wanted to hear you draw that out because it's so true that each one of us is the part that's actually making the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, within, you know, as organizations grow, I think that, you know, each position of, of positional authority is critical. You know, some would say, and I might have referenced it earlier, that those hiring are going to be the, the most important at kind of setting and continuing to influence what your culture becomes, you know, and, and uh, you know, just the, those different dynamics as that team can, continues to grow. It is, it is going to change, right? I think that's one of the hardest things is, is the people aspect of of the culture and getting people that are, if, especially if you're now trying to change culture right, and getting the people along on board with the culture change right. is going to be a, a tough conversation. Right. Is, is that probably the hardest part? Right. And I think one other, you know, if as, as an employee, if you feel like you've got clarity about maybe some behaviors, I think a, a great way, you know, to kind of frame a conversation, say that you're frustrated about, um, or there's something you see that you want to change. And you say, okay, I see that we say we're obsessed with the farmer. I need this piece of information. I don't have it, and it hurts my ability to serve the farmer. That's the context to bring it up to your leadership team. This is, hey, I know this is who we want to be. I, I, it's not a, this is my opinion versus your, this is, we're saying we want to be obsessed with the farmer. I can't serve the farmer as well. I think I could serve this farmer better if I had this information get that for me and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be better serving on, on our organization's behalf and bringing it up in that way, I think is a healthy way to go about it. So Justin, weave that a little bit into an interview. When we talk about culture being set, you know, 
kind of by almost the the mid-level management or those doing the hiring and firing. Is there any tips or any wisdom that you can pass on to say, here's a good way that we've found to make sure we get the right people in that interview process and bring them on knowing they fit our culture? Yeah. So I think first off, it is hiring for culture as a requirement is the, is the first step, right? I think early on, I, I didn't realize that. I think we can, there's, there's, and this is taken from somebody and I don't remember who, so I can't give them credit, but four C's of hiring competence in that, you know, kind of similar to the trust piece. Can they do the job? A lot of times that's where we focus. Hey, do, can they do the job or not? Right. But then culture being another, another C and actually saying, no, this is a requirement. So what if there might be capable, but that's not enough. Do, do they, you know, do they, they appear to fit our culture? And so I'll, I'll come back to unpack that even a little more. Cause that's really the heart of the question, Tyler, but then also uh, an aspect of, of uh, compatibility, which I think is also helpful, which saying even even if they could be a culture fit, are they compatible with me as a as a manager? Like a, I, this person and I just clash a little bit and it might not work real well. And, and last being character kind of, again, as a threshold. Well, requirement for trust. Requirement for trust again. Right. Yeah. And you go back to those. So I think, you know, what we've actually done, I've had there's been a couple of hiring managers that have shared this document now in the hiring process. Again, imperfect kind of moving, not fully rolled out within our organization, even but a few that said, hey, in the process, read this. Does this even connect with you? Does that make sense? Does it, you know, a lot of that is, is um, you know, even looking for just that acknowledgement up front, like way better to do that in the hiring process than 90 days in. And so even sharing, trying to capture some of it and sharing that in the process. Now, commonly, if, if that's just a yes or no, yeah, I'm, I'm a candidate. I say, yeah, sure. That makes sense to me. I like it. You know, maybe, maybe I don't, uh, you know, do I, or do I not? That's where starting to get in and actually ask questions that are looking for more examples of, of aligning with these type of behaviors is valuable. You know, when you think about it, you know, asking someone what they believe in leadership is what, you know, and pushing into those things. And, and so I think in a lot of ways, it's not magical. It's just actually being intentional about saying, hey, if these are the things about how we kind of get things done. So, for example, very decentralized control at precision planting. I think it's, it's a, you know, this is what's true of us. So pushing into examples of times when somebody, hey, you don't have all the tools you need. Tell me about times where you've been able to get stuff done without, what, without all the tools, you know, and, and starting to try and push into those things that you know are like how we get things done here. Let me look for examples and, and try and pick out if, if they've actually done that before, have interest in that, or, you know, appear to have show the capability to do that. I have a couple little farther off topic questions that I wanted to poke sure. at, but I want to give you an opportunity. Do you have anything else we haven't covered or brought to the fore with questions? Did we pick at all of your notes? Yeah, I think, I think we did. I'm looking down. I mean, I think we did a, lo- a lot of it. You know, I mean, there's other behaviors we didn't fully unpack, but I think that's okay too. Uh, business is a team sport. Uh, bias to action. Some of those type of things that are, you know, it's it's all a- again. Uh, it's it's precision planning culture. It's not necessarily how to right. build culture, but that's our culture. That's right. That's right. And so I think those are important to us, and um, but don't necessarily need to be pretended like they're important for everybody. Yeah. So what else? Yeah, you take so my head down a different road. All right. So my first my first uh, side question is, and I'll just give them both to you at once. But uh, what are you reading? What's or what's what's a recent book that you you just conquered that that 
was interesting or enlightening. And then the other one is life experience. What, uh, what, Every once in a while, you you will drop some nuggets on us of the preference versus principle, things Mm. like that, that come from a life experience that dawned a learning for you. Hmm. Trying to pull out those two threads. Okay, I'll do the the book one's easy. I don't the the other one. We'll see what because you've already dropped five or six (laughs) notes on. I'm trying to keep up with the list. So, uh, reading right now, um, "Hearing God" by Dallas Willard and. Okay, how, I'm going to forget the, the the latest book by the Heath brothers. So Chip and Dan Heath, um, how to make numbers say almost anything. Nah, that's wrong. That's probably that I'm not going to do the many favors by saying <laughs> a book about how to tell stories with numbers. Okay, that's a good book. It's a good book. I'm, I'm <laughs> just starting in that one. Uh, just read How to Fail at Almost Anything. Scott Adams, uh, author Dilbert, is a good one. Uh, so yeah, th- those are a few of the current books. Um, man. Life experience story. <laughs> I think, you know, obviously this part of my life is uh, pretty engaged with kids. And you guys will hear me tell a lot of stories about the kids. I love the kids stories. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in this I'm in this season now where my oldest is 15. So I'm riding shotgun in a, in a car now with a, a child of mine driving. That, you want to talk about the speed of trust. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true in so many different ways. Uh, she's wonderful. She's very, she's doing great as a driver. Um, you know, she listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) She, she does at times as much as a sophomore in high school (laughs) desires to listen to a a podcast like this, but you know, then, uh, you know, of of my four kids and my youngest is a five-year-old to, you know, 12 year old, just turned nine year old. And, um, and in between there, uh, you know, I think of maybe there's a lesson from, you know, my, my five-year-old, the little guy, Gus, then ends up now a lot of the the, the funny stories end up, in, in, uh, you know, with him leading the way is he's just got to kind of survive in the midst. What he's all about right now, though, he's all about praying before our meals. So he always wants to say the prayer. Mm-hmm. And and it's funny because so he what the, this is kind of go back to the, the caught, not taught stuff. And so he'll pray and he always prays for people with the sickness which is COVID, I guess. He, uh, he prays for the chefs that are trying to make food for people. Somehow he picked up, you know, on the, the issue. And then he prays for people with heartburn. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think about and it's like, he had to get that from me. I, I would be the only, I would be the one probably saying I've got heartburn at home. Um, it's not, it's not Katie. Um, is that then, literal heartburn or is it, it I, you know, <laughs> driving with the 15 year old, that gives yeah, me heartburn. It's probably <laughs> related to a lot of things, but then, you know, I think about it, you know, this might be a stretch in the application, but I think about this you know, and it is fun. You think about a five-year-old, think about the term heartburn. That sounds pretty awful, you know? And I'm like, I, I guess I've never explained what heartburn is. <laughs> like, here's a, here's a Rolaids, and you can make that go away. <laughs> but it sounds like something it's that, pretty you know, significant. it's pretty significant. So I, I it does, I, I pause and smile, and I think of, uh, you know, one, I mean, just be encouraged, care about the little things. But, you know, also we talk about the curse of knowledge. I forget 
right? That that bias that we have of not explaining things. I think kids can help bring that in a little bit too. And it's just well, like, it happens all the time. Yeah, maybe it's. Uh, hey, buddy, let me tell you about Hartman. I appreciate your pray yeah. your prayer. I'm not going to stop it, but um, yeah, it's kind of fun. Just makes you pause and think. I love it. I I continue to learn from my kids and yes. be exposed in so many ways as uh, the the failings um, as as we try and and be a parent. Kids are some of the best educators. Yeah. They, no, yeah, no they doubt. They will teach you. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. It's, un, it's unfortunate so much. Like for me, I'm looking through, you move talked a lot about it's caught, not taught. And there's so many things that I see my kids doing. I'm like, you definitely caught that from me. And that was not the right thing. That's right. And that's what pain, that's like, that's the painful part of like the, the realization of you caught that from me. That's right. No. You and see, you talk yeah. about the culture and things that you do, because we're going back again here a little bit, but the culture of that is so often caught and a lot of times it, it catches me by surprise in what I actually taught. Yeah. yeah. And it is, I mean, I do think there's just a lot of parallels between leadership and parenting and, and, and there, there are, it is so much more about how you handle that moment of conflict, what you show at that time when, you know, at eight o'clock at night at bedtime, oh boy. Right. You know, it's, it is, but you can you can kind of have whatever words you want, but those actions are what leave really lasting impacts. I think it's very true for us within business too. Is uh, you know these these words are great, but at the end of the day, if you see things different being rewarded around here, or people acting a different way, or being allowed to, um, that that has a, a powerful impact. On that note, we got into this topic a little bit at church. This has been a couple weeks ago, but we are going through. My wife and I are going through kind of a parenting class. And we are not, we're not to where you are yet. I've got a three-year-old and a 19-month-old. But it was the conversation around, like, teenagers and what a time and, and what an influence, you know, parents have on them, you know, during those years. It definitely shifts. I'll say that. The, the uh, what that influence is for them compared to uh, what was needed and what that influence was when, the, when they're three. And all, all important, but... Yeah, it is. It is a shifting. It there's no doubt. It is. It is a shift as it happens. So I had this thought when you were when you were talking in the last conversation. I just wrote it down, so now I actually remember it. But it never comes at a good time. Yeah. Meaning, like you know, we talk about like actions that we we I guess fire for or actions that don't fit along with the culture. Like as a teenager, that conversation with mom and dad of like I'm having I'm at this big life kind of conundrum, and I don't know what to do, and I need help. That doesn't come at eight o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning when mom and dad are both available and drinking their morning coffee, right? That comes when you as a parent are drained at the end of the day. You just want to relax in the tub and have everything else blocked out. That's when your teen comes in right. and wants to talk to you about something. I think in, in leadership too, that can be the case that like that action that you see an employee take that doesn't quite fit the culture doesn't come at 10 o'clock Monday morning when you don't have any meetings on the schedule, right? That's going to come at a farm show when you're busy and the booth is full and you've got your cell phone ringing and three other phone calls that you've got to return. Like you bet. I think, I think the point I was trying to make there is making that a priority of, I'm not going to let that bit get put on the back burner. I'm going right. to make that a priority. We're going to address that right now. Cause this is critical right. above these three phone calls in this full booth and everything else you that we've got to get to. No, it's well said Tyler. Yeah, it is. It's going to be way more in the moment how we act in those moments, what we're actually doing, what we show to be valuable at that time, regardless of what we might put on paper, no doubt. 
I think there is a, another saying from Covey in that, that, uh, you know, we, we often judge others by their behavior and ourselves by our intent. And so it ends up, you know, that ends up being such a, a convicting one to think about. And just think about if you can flip that, I, I mean, you know, the, the idea of really giving people the benefit of the doubt and what that can do for a culture, what they can do for a family. I mean, it's just a, a massive shift, massive change. I feel like there's a podcast episode in there. Yeah, you don't know this because it hasn't been released, but <laughs> back in October of last year, we actually recorded Hanlon's Razor, which oh. is right along that bias. Yeah. Of, uh, so that's coming down the pipe. Love uh, it. Yeah, we've had that one in the in the background. You get to see that, and it, it will build and play off of that very well. Love it. To their credit, they played along nicely. I went into it with a with a mission and just dropped it on them and he put us in front of a hot mic and said, here, answer this. Oh, <laughs> there you go. That's one way to do it. Which is fun. Yeah. In the moment. Yeah. So to, to I, I think we had asked you to block off up until 1130. So to be conscientious of your time, here's what I, I'd like to do. It's been burning in the back of my mind to see if on the front of stories, do you have any good Kimono Dragon stories? Oh. I, when I think of Justin Kaufman, that's a yeah. unique yeah, yeah, yeah. Kaufman family thing. And then the other thing is, is as we wrap up, could we do key takeaways? Is that cool? Like I'm thinking there's got to be a few key takeaways. Like, hey, if you're a leader at your business or in your dealership, here's a few action items that you leave with this conversation to implement culture or start to wrap your arms around culture at your at your dealership. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. Yeah. The dragon. So let's start with, yeah, oh, let's start there. I'll tell you what. So literally in the last two days, the stench of that animal... <laughs> Is is so like I start to walk up the stairs and just get hit in the mouth with something. So I spent forty five minutes with my twelve year old boy the other day cleaning out that tank and try. I we I don't know. We couldn't find like the you know the what the what uh, you know actually. I, I hopefully we got it. It's better. And then we're just covering it with Febreze smell in the room and everything. So uh, right now it's a. Billy, Billy is making his presence known in the Kaufman household. <laughs> Way un, unfair share, uh, just by the horrible smell. With a twelve-year-old boy, we're certain that's coming from the dragon. <laughs> it it is such a unique, awful smell. It is coming from the dragon. <laughs> okay. um, I wouldn't put it past a twelve-year-old boy to come up with something I, like it. <laughs> yeah. The only the only catch is he has to sleep in that room. Oh, it's in his room. So he, I mean, yeah, it's, but a, send, it's, a, it's a pretty bold move if he's uh, looking to inflict that on his sisters and parents. But, yeah, but be, scent is, it, it doesn't stay. Like, yeah. it gets accustomed to things yeah. and then you lose no, your... it's true. It's true. But what, what, uh, just based on his reaction, I don't know. It was, it's, he's pulling it off well if he's actually behind it. So, yeah, Billy. Oh, Billy's making his presence known. <laughs> and then let's go ahead and move into, if we can... Again, what are the action items? If for somebody listening to the podcast today and trying to get their arms around culture at a dealership or within their business, what are those recommended steps? Like, guys, here's where I'd start. One, two, three. Yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost is you're, you have a business culture if you like it or not. So first and foremost, own it. Like take, take push into it. And by that, the first step is to be a student, I think, of how things get done. Uh, I, if you're if you're going to try and capture it or influence, you got to know realistically how it's actually happening. 
And so then once you, once you do that, I think a good parallel exercise is to think about what you want it to be. I mean, there is a, a point for aspiration here to say, Hey, I don't, if I'm truly honest about myself, uh, and again, I'd encourage you to bring a visitor, bring some other trusted people in to say, what do you see on, on how we're getting done? What do, how do customers experience this business? And, and then think about where do I want it to be? And am I on that path? Um, look into document it somehow. Maybe it's just verbal. Maybe you're just going to say it. Maybe you're just going to call it out. Maybe you are going to create a document. Maybe you are going to do some things like that. And then look at your, again, it's a connection between elements and, you know, the interconnection between those. So then look at your systems through the lens of culture. So, hey, if I've got an accounting system or if I've got customer information, is is all of that helping to to feed my people to work the way I want us to be able to work, to be the type of business and culture that I want it to be. And then, you know, really take an honest look at those different systems. And right along with the system is going to be a policy. So at Precision, we're light on policies on purpose, but there's obviously a place for a number of different policies that you have to have. And, and so then, you know, look at your policies through that lens, not just, well, you know, we put that in place at that one time, when our business was that size, is that the right thing based on who we, who we want to be and how we want to work and, and kind of just really be a student of that and start looking through things from that lens. And just to call this out the way you said it, it is to make sure that a, a policy fits into the culture, not right. vice versa. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that you, yeah, yeah. Because you can have that intent and the policy restricts your people from working that way. That's what's going to happen. And that's, that's your culture. That's, how the business is going to be experienced. Right. Anything else? That's it. I, I, no, this is fun. I appreciate you guys continuing to do this and, and talk through it. I'll just jump in and say, Justin was our very first guest. We shot our, our pilot and then had Justin on to talk about extreme ownership. That is an extremely worthwhile episode to go back and listen to. I go mean, there, to there's it. a whole nother yeah, conversation around culture yep. around kind of reviewing that book. So I would strongly encourage Go back all the way to the the genesis, if you will, of smarter every season, and give that a listen. Yeah, it's it really is good. one of one of the behaviors we captured, right? It was really yeah. going in yeah. in depth in that. Yeah. All right. Anything else, Paul? Uh, that, that covers everything for me. Well, Justin, we you mentioned it a little bit, and we'll just we'll touch on it again. But um, you are transitioning out, so we are going to be sad to see you leave. But we are extremely excited that for the time you've done here, and we thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us today. Yeah. So, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, it is all all of this and looking at the the strength of this organization is just just such a cool thing. And there's there's going to be so much you know so many great things ahead. Excited to see uh, the precision business continue to grow and and help farmers around the world. I would be remiss if I didn't ask, but what does kind of the next step look like for yeah. you? Yeah, uh, it's unknown. Um, so the next step is spring break with my kids. So cool. kind of to that point that I shared about that season. You know, and that that season is is uh, kind of quick and 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 moving fast in the Kaufman household. So that's that's all we know at at this point, and take some time, a little bit of you know sabbatical esque type uh, of moments, and you know, um, and we'll see from there. Well, hopefully that's flying somewhere, not driving somewhere. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> hopefully so. <laughs> that's right. Well, thank you so much, Justin. I appreciate yes, you coming you. on. Um, I think with that, we are going to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you join us again next time for another episode of Smarter Every Season. 